the world of the unknown, and some would say, unbelievable. Pigman, Pigman, I don't know. People will know we're not Canadian at this point. Please. And that one is a, a true of... story. scared the crap out of me at first, and I thought, wow. So welcome to another edition of Shame on the Night. I'm your host, Eric Burton. On this podcast, we discuss historic crimes, myth, urban legends, the paranormal, and the macabre. I'm here with guest host, Rick Burton. How's it going today, Dad? It's good. How are you, sunny boy? Oh, not too bad. 11.30 in the morning on a Saturday here. Yes. Can't complain. Go on, yes, going up on 3 o'clock in the afternoon here on the East Coast. That's right. We we go coast to coast. <laughs> one on the west, one on the east. That's right. Old rock and roll Saturday night coming up. I'm good to go. Why not see one of my an old hard rock band? Hell yeah. Back in the 80s tonight. So which which band is that we're talking about? Slaughter. Hard rock. I do not call it that blank metal. I don't use that term anymore. <laughs> I don't like it. Everybody thinks it, but because it, it's just rock and roll, man. They just happen to look dress different. I mean, there's always been a style in rock and roll. The music's just rock and roll. Fair enough. Yeah, I That's still listen I to that stuff. It. It's hard rock. I love it. Slaughter and docking and poison. It's all good rock and roll, man. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I still listen to. I still listen to that stuff. <laughs> Those guys came out before I was even born. It's just good fun party and you know let loose a little bit. So exactly, it's just fun times. All right, we're supposed to be doing the podcast here. So. Yeah, that's fine. Well, before we get started here, let's do some house cleaning. So find us on uh, all your major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and follow the show at Shame on the Night Pod on Twitter. Also check out the website at shameonthenightpod.com. Yeah, yeah. Give us a like, a review, smash that subscribe button. Somebody. Yeah, let us know what you guys think. Yeah. Subscribe to Shame on the Night. As long as it's all positive. You never know who's going to show up. <laughs> you can yeah, you can let us know if there's something you don't want, you know, That's you don't right. like. Yeah. We'll take constructive criticism. You know, try not to hurt my feeling. Exactly. I will curl up in a ball <laughs> and cry. <laughs> but today we continue our dive. See what I did there? If anybody listened to the last episode, they know into the monster that is Billy Goal. Oh, Billy Goal. Refresh our memory. Give us a little recap on Billy. So when we left you last time, we finished talking about Billy getting married to Bessie Hager and how she was related to Frank and Jesse James. Oh, that's right. Also, towards the end of the episode, we talked about how he wanted to emulate his life around the James gang and have a gang of his own. Oh, yeah. This was in the late 1890s? Late 1890s, Turn of the century. Yep, right around the turn of the century. Yep. So this episode, we'll get into the gang he assembled and how that gang would ultimately lead to his demise. Mm. Let's get into it. Okay. Billy and the gang. That's right. The gang. Like I was just talking about, Goal assembled his own gang. This gang would include A.W. Jacobson, John Hoffman, John Klingenberg, Charles Hadberg, and Loritz Jensen, all of whom would play a role in his undoing. His, quote, band of thugs did his bidding, including acting as his alibi when he got in trouble and, in some instances, taking the fall for his crimes. So in one example, Billy was charged with stealing 
automobile blankets. Oh, oh. I put that in quotes. Because you weren't sure what it was? Uh, yeah, I'm. well, that's what they called it. What were they? I don't know if that's the exact term. But he stole these blankets from A.L. Davenport. He was a resident of Aberdeen. Hadberg stepped in and took the fall for this crime. And like I was saying, I had to look up what automobile blankets were just out of sheer curiosity. Yeah, I don't know what they are. I'm not that old. But it seemed people would use uh, lap robes back uh, in the day. Oh, yeah. Because cars had no heat. Right, or very little. Yeah. I mean, most of the cars at the turn of the century didn't have them. You know, no, they didn't. very rich people, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes cars would even have robe rails that you could throw these blankets over. Yep. You know, because the cars were also very drafty. Oh, So, you know, you true. think you're going 30, even just 30 miles an hour and that wind coming in. So what in. they were probably like is like a like one of those heavy-duty moving blankets. Exactly. And I that's kind of what I that. saw. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. You know, if you had a, a lady riding in the car with you. And was wearing a dress. Exactly. She would probably put that over her waist, over her lap. And that hoops, the dress and the hoop and the whole thing, that'd be drafty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just think of it like an old Model T and just the seals are not great on those things. If you ever <laughs> look at one of those up close. Oh, yeah. Not good. But yeah, so, you know, he stole those automobile blankets from a resident, A.L. Davenport, resident of Aberdeen. Stealing stuff was just the beginning of his crimes, though. At this point, he was killing sailors, taking their money, and dropping their bodies through a trap door on the second floor of the Grand Saloon. Oh, that's right. Why Why was he doing that again? You take these sailors, knock them out, or get them drunk, or whatever. Wait. And exactly. Sure you know, shanghaiing them, them. Shanghai them, and take them to a merchant ship, and sell them to the captain. Yep. Well, that's how that's how he started his crimes. But now, and then he started killing them. Yep. Exactly. Since some sailors would leave their money with Billy at the Grand Saloon, remember he was the rep for SUP, the Sailors right. Union of the Pacific. Oh, that's right. So sailors trusted him. Right. You know, he was their union representative, so they would leave their money with him. Right. While sailors were putting their money in the safe, Gold would sneak up behind them and knock them out with a belaying pin. And again, a belaying pin. I mean, I'm sure since you're a Navy man, you know what this is. But on old uh, wooden ships, it was where you tie the the sails off on. That's a yep. belaying pin. Yeah, Those things are just solid, hard, hard, hard. Oof. Yeah, that'll knock you. That'll knock anybody for a loop. Yeah, you would sneak up behind them, knock them out, and then drag their unconscious unconscious bodies to the trap door. And drop them in the trap door. Yep. So, or he would drag them to the trap door. Right. Let the trap door go. They drop down into a boat below and either taken off to a ship to work or just be killed. If he just felt like the mood that night was to kill one of them rather than send them off to a ship. Pretty much. Okay. Exactly. He was awesome. <laughs> so using the blank pin was quieter than shooting them and saved on bullets. When Billy would shoot a man in the union office, he would rob the corpse, then discard the bodies into the Wishkaw River, which conveniently flowed in the rear of the union building and ebbed into Gray's Harbor. Located in the union building was a slope that began inside and ended in the Wishkaw River. This is that trap door. So there was a sloped kind of slide, if you will, that went from the trap door down into the Wishkaw River. (laughs) Boy, people are shady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially back then when, you know, you could get away with 
obviously murder. <laughs> yeah. People didn't have IDs and social security cards and Exactly. And especially sailors as we established last episode and sailors had very little rights. Very little, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So Because otherwise they wouldn't be sailors. Because no one wanted to go do it anymore. That's right. Not a lot of options for these guys. So making some money, a 50-50 proposition of making money or being killed. Either, yeah, exactly, for your money or out at sea. Yeah. Not a great life. Even though police suspected that Goal was accountable for the slew of dead bodies of sailors who had temporarily docked in Aberdeen and subsequently vanished, police did nothing to prevent possible future killings. Why not? Were they getting paid? We will get into that meat See, and potatoes. I, I am a story spoiler. Shush. <laughs> no, you're all good, but we will we will answer that question. So some sailors he killed, some he just shanghaied like we were just discussing. When he would be questioned about the missing men, he said they had shipped out on a long gone lumber schooner. Ooh. When a dead man would wash up on shore, goal as the SUP or SUP agent. Union. The union agent, exactly. He would usually be the one called upon to identify the body and the one responsible for forwarding remaining pay for the sailor's family. Or to the sailor's family. So he was getting paid twice. Exactly. He had his whole system. He knew exactly what he was doing and making money off of all of these. Again, like we just discussed and like we discussed at length in the first episode... These sailors just nobody really cared about. <laughs> they were the, you know, the quote unquote less dead. You know, you think about prostitutes at this time, even. Everybody, yeah, life was a lot more disposable 100, 150 years ago. Exactly. It always had been. It's only been right. since the 20th century that we started preserving ourselves enough to live to our 70s and 80s and 90s. Yeah. So, exactly. You know, it was a much, much, much more br- brutal world. And it can go right back to that quite quickly, as is evidenced in Ukraine right now, which is, I don't want to go there. But no, man. this again, we are not a political podcast. Nope, we try to keep on. this light, even though we're exactly. talking about some some but nasty still, stuff. But still, can you just imagine being pummeled back? You know, it wouldn't take much. No, it wouldn't. Use your electricity and your water and your heat for about a month and then shit gets real. Exactly. <laughs> So that's the world they lived in then. Exactly. It was, you know, it was the old adage, kill or be killed type of thing. You know, Survival it's very. Yep. And it's all, you know what? It's always going to be that way. That's nature. We're just a little bit more um, sophisticated about it now. We're a little more. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to, la- none of us are going to last forever. But at least no, we're but we, we kind of gloss it over a little bit, you know, make mm-hmm. it, make it a little prettier. Yeah. But yeah, so to kind of get back to the story, you know, give you an idea of what kind of man Billy Goal was, if you haven't already got an idea. He once shot a man from the window of the sup office bragging, I shot the son of a bitch from my office with my Winchester. I bet that scab won't cross me again. Wow. It was even a time that he forced four non-union sailors at gunpoint out into the bay onto a spit called Moon Island that was only visible at low water levels. And from Wikipedia, a spit or sand spit is a deposition bar or beach landform off coasts or lake shores. So it's a little piece of 
island, basically, that at low tide you could see. Low tide, it's visible, but at high tide, you're going to drown. Exactly. And this guy openly did this kind of stuff, shot people from his office window openly. And, yep. and people, first off, people obviously were terrified of this guy. The whole freaking exactly. town in that area, anyway, was terrified of this guy. Absolutely. murdering people, and they knew it. I don't yeah, care who you, you know, are. it was it was an unspoken thing. People knew it. Yeah. But were too yep. afraid to say anything. Yep, even the police. Yep. He left these guys on this spit and was quoted as saying, "I rode away and I could hear them yelling and splashing about as the water came up over the ground. I had a big laugh for all of them had told me they couldn't swim." Dang. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. But there were a couple of factors that grew Billy Gold's power and brazenness. First, the lack of will to try and tie him to these crimes by the police or anyone in power. And secondly, just the lack of evidence against him directly. Right. So kind of kind of to your point of why he was able to get away with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But he And lack of evidence because he was smart enough to do things to people that there wouldn't be any evidence left on land. Yeah, he used that. exactly. He used, he used the, the sea, water. He used the yeah. ocean and the sea as his accomplice. Yeah, he used Gray's Harbor was his killing mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. Is the best way I could describe it. Yeah, killing harbor. <laughs> right. Mm. Yep. So the earthquake in San Francisco on April 18th, 1906, brought to a head long simmering tensions between ship owners and sailors. Wages for most industries and their workers had gone up around the turn of the 20th century but not for sailors. Of course not. The SUP used this tragedy as a way to demand higher wages for their sailors. After ship owners refused initial demands, the sailors walked off and went on strike. Mm. Some owners buckled quickly, giving into union demands. Others refused and went on to use non-union crews. Oh boy. So how did he uh, handle that? Yeah. We can, we have a pretty good idea, but the SUP resorted to strong arm tactics to get their point across. This is when Billy went to work in Aberdeen. He would hop onto streetcars armed with pistols and searching for firearms of men on the streetcars, advocating for burning of mills in the city, threatening store owners and managers of lumber companies, even plotting to blow up W.B. Max. Hmm. He was the manager of the S.E. Slade Lumber Company. Uh, he was threatening to blow up his house because he refused to meet strikers' demands. The man Goal had sent to blow up the house was only deterred by seeing W.B. Max's wife was at home. Oh, wow. Yeah, this guy was willing to do anything. I'm surprised that somebody didn't stand up and say, man. This guy had no conscience whatsoever. No, he's willing to do anything to get his way. Exactly. So like I said, we're in 1906, around April. So we're spring of 1906. By the summer of 1906, every paper in Gray's Harbor was writing about the lawlessness in the area. The public was starting to wonder if the police were afraid of Goal, or if he was protected by the police or even government officials. Right. Citizens even took to carrying revolvers for protection. Heck yeah. Just because how just insane Aberdeen I would too. (laughs) Right? I would too. Exactly. So in my town like that, I'm beginning packing. Hell yeah. Gold would continue terrorizing ships that would drop anchor in Gray's Harbor, from simple ransacking to sending his men out to ships to remove non-union sailors by any means necessary. They would attack several of these schooners within days of each other and gunfights would break out. The police tried to protect these ships, but Gold's crew were able to evade them. During these few days or so, 
in the summer, there were at least two men that died. Not necessarily from Billy's hand, but a direct result of his actions. So there were a couple of guys, you know, I didn't go into detail, but a couple of guys that died in these gunfights or fell overboard and drowned because of his uh, actions. Yeah, if you go look at a picture of this Billy goal online, yeah. Yeah, he has dead eyes. That's the best way yeah, I can he's, describe he's, it. He's, he's pretty scary looking, really. Yeah, there's no soul behind those eyes. Oof. So longshoremen soon refused to work on any ship that the SUP had issues with. Deckhands were quitting, claiming that the work was too hard. Shipping was taking a massive hit, and labor was in crazy demand. Since the local police were ineffective against Gull, the state stepped in and issued arrest warrants for him and his cronies. These arrest warrants were for the attacks on the ship Fearless. Gull went in front of the Superior Court on August 28th, charged with assembling men under arms, but was released on a $500 bond paid by the SUP. Of course. Yeah, the SUP is going to have his back because he keeps them in business. Exactly. And he keeps them in business cheaply. Right. You know, and he's probably kicking back some of that money that he was making off of these dead sailors. You right, got to imagine, Union, right? right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, so exactly. So yeah. they're happy with it. And, you know, the attack on the fearless, again, didn't go into detail since we have a lot of information to get to. But it was a pretty, pretty nasty kind of fight shootout okay. between police, goals men and the sailors on fearless. And that's where a couple of the men died. In what city? I forgot what town or city this was in. So we're in Aberdeen right now. Aberdeen, Washington. Aberdeen, Washington, Grays Harbor. Okay. In the Grays Harbor area. Ghoul of Grays Harbor. In Grays Harbor. That's right. Okay. So a couple months later, the SUP came to an agreement with the ship owners and the strike ended. So we're roughly in October 1906 now. The case against Goal for... Well, so we're roughly in... October 1906, like I said, in... Or your 06, 07 area. The earthquakes, what? The earthquake of in April of 1906 is kind of what kicked off this this strike. So the strike went from basically mid-end of April until October of 1906. Mm -hmm. So all right. of these actions, you know, spread over a six-month period. Just built the tension. Five or six months. On both sides. That's right. Well, people are like, I'm standing up for myself now. Yep. But yeah, so the SUP and ship owners came to an agreement, so the strike ended. The case against Goal for the Fearless attack only ended in a $1,250 fine. It's roughly $40,000 today. That's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot of money, but that was also paid by the SUP. <laughs> of course. This trial did nothing to deter Billy from his reign over Aberdeen and the shipyards. In the spring of 1907... He even ran for fourth vice president of the Washington Federation of Labor. I actually couldn't find exactly what that meant. Don't know if that meant fourth district or fourth overall vice president. So he ran for office mm -hmm. of the Washington Federation of Labor. Wow. And he had his supporters, which is which is crazy to think with a guy like well, this. Some of them were probably strong armed into being his supporters and, and it was fear. Oh yeah. yeah That's why absolutely. he had enough to you know, that's fear. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful motivator. It sure is. Billy Gull was well established in the community at this point. Papers, like the Aberdeen Herald, would write about even his most mundane activities, like his travels on business. They were awfully fascinated with this man. They were. Rightfully so. Well, a guy comes in and just 
starts taking over the shipyards and keep an eye and on using AI. whatever tactics. Yeah. And you know, everybody everybody knew what was going on, but nobody was doing anything about it. Thank God for the press. That's right. They had a big part in in all of this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were writing about, you know, even mundane things that he was doing. He even had some of his henchmen in political office, many authorities in his pocket, and getting away from the trial with a slap on the wrist. He considered himself invincible. Yep. In February 1907, Askold Johnson's body was found. Weeks later, John Anderson was found dead near Wilson Mill. Then Gus Lindros, Robert Priest, J.B. Mears, Connie Lockett, and Gabriel Austin. That's seven. Yep. Seven bodies. Seven bodies. 1907 was a big oh, year. There's got to be some evidence there, right? You would think, but they're all found, you know, they're all found in the water. A lot of the evidence gets washed away, eaten True. by, you know, sea life. And they didn't have DNA, fingerprints. Were not in 1907. Then, are you going to have, are you gonna, you're not going to have dental records. Fingerprints they were maybe. doing by then. Yeah, maybe dental record. Well, yeah, no x-rays. No x-rays. You might have dental imprints. I doubt it. Most people didn't go to the dentist. At that point. Yeah, that's true. In 1907. That's true. And that did start happening until the 50s. Everything changed after World War II when things went modern. 40s. Before that, it was not so much. Well, I did a story, the Lady of the Lake, mm-hmm. around here, you know, out on the Olympic Peninsula. Right. And that's part of how they were able to identify this woman's body. Really? That was found in this lake. Was she had, uh, she had some dental work. And this was... I want to say this was around the 20s or 30s, maybe into the 40s. Yeah, I was 20s or 30s, maybe. But yeah, around 1907 is a big difference between 1930. That's a good point. You know, that's two, three decades. And then 29 to 39, there was not a lot of a hell of a lot of innovation because of the Depression. Everyone was trying to survive. Fair enough. World War Two, for good or for bad, um, kickstarted the world's economy again. Well, yeah, a lot of innovation. And, you know, that's another sad fact is like war breeds innovation. Does. (laughs) We we are very creative in how we kill each other, which is, I mean. Yeah. It's a sad fact. And that's because there's money in it. A lot of money. That's one of the reasons that, you know, we don't work that hard at trying to uh, create peace. How can you make money on it? That's right. Peace sells, but who's buying? (laughs) It's a great album. Great song. And song. That's right. It's like <laughs> Bad Company by the band Bad Company on the album Bad Company. <laughs> still a great song. Bad Company. <laughs> I still love that song. Well, it's a great album. One yep. of the great debut rock and roll albums ever. Yeah, you got to have balls, though, to, to do that as a you band. Do. Your name is yeah. Bad Company. You have an album Bad Company. You write a song, Bad Company. <laughs> it's like, I wonder many, who this band is. How many bands have, a, you know, a song that they named after themselves? There's only a, exactly. there's only a few. <laughs> All right. All right. We we're getting off track. We're, we're off track. <laughs> Shit. So we were talking about in early February 1907, seven bodies were found dead. 1907 was a big year. Over the next eight months, 43 men were found floating in Gray's Harbor. Aberdeen earned the nicknames Hellhole of the Pacific and Port of Missing Men. Whoa. Creepy. Scary stuff. Yeah, creepy. I mean, as a sailor, you're like, Ooh, oh, we're docking in. You see what this, see what this, 
came in the room as soon as you said that? A black <laughs> <The> cat. cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> so in one month alone, 14 bodies were pulled out of the harbor. The dead were even given the name Floater Fleet. <laughs> Floater Fleet? Floater Fleet. <laughs> Sorry. How grim is that? <laughs> that's the name of our band. I mean, that actually, that's not terrible. It's not. During Cole's time in Aberdeen, this fleet numbered 150. Investigators attributed the majority of these deaths to Billy Gole, making him one of the most prolific serial killers in history. What? Over 100 at least. At least. 150. At least 100. You know, you know. Exactly. Dude. So how old was this guy at this point? 40? 35, 40 years old? I think at this point, yeah, he's in his 30s. I think he was born wow. 1870s, like late 1870s. So he's 35, 40 years old. Yep. And he's killed 150 people. Yep. Well, by the time his reign ended. How many a year? I mean, how many is that a year? That's a lot. I mean, because he wasn't in, he was in Aberdeen for roughly four to five years. So this is over a four or five year period. No way. So he was killing, he was killing 25, 30 people a year or more. Yep. Fudge. Yep. Well, that's wow. what makes him one of the most prolific serial killers in history. Wow. In, in, in a small city like Aberdeen. Exactly. That's a lot of people. That's no a Well, and you think a lot of these people were just sailors coming in on ships. Right. So you didn't miss most of them. You might, you right. know, there might be 10 or 12 out of that 150. Anybody was like, where do you go? Yeah, exactly. You know, and like I mentioned before, it was the quote unquote less dead. You know, you hear people talk about now, you know, prostitutes, people of color, First Nations people are considered, you know, police just don't investigate those murders as much as they would, you know, say uh, a blonde haired, blue eyed white girl that went missing. Yeah, you're right. And it's a bunch of bullshit. It is. But, you know, the sailors were in that same that same category back in the turn of the 20th century. It reminds me of that movie with Val Kilmer and he goes to the Indian Reservation and there's a murder. Oh, yeah. That, old play. that was a great old movie. And then that one chief is a chief of police. The Indian chief is a chief of police there, too. And there's that. Oh, one yeah, movie. I can't remember the name of that movie. But yeah. yeah, I know what you're talking but about. Yeah. Yeah, and nobody was going to investigate this except he right. wanted to. But because exactly. it was Native American, they're like, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's well, sad is what it is. It's very sad and something that needs to change in our country. All right, we're going down a dark Another path. Another rabbit hole. Shush. <laughs> but we have established already that Billy likes setting fires. Arson was one of his favorite things. No way. He would go to that well again in 1908 when he decided to, quote unquote, burn out a man named Lee Williams, who Goal Ooh. had a grudge against. Where was this guy? In his rack? And tried to burn him out? <laughs> yeah, burn out, I think, is just a term of basically setting the person on fire. Oh, my God. It just so happened that his cigar stand was in the same building, the Alaska Saloon, as the one Williams was staying in. To top it all off, Billy's cigar stand was conveniently going through bankruptcy. He would claim a stock of cigars that no longer existed, and the empty cigar boxes just happened to be consumed by the fire. His arson killed two birds with one stone. Dang! That guy was always scheming. 
Always scheming. Couldn't trust him. Yeah, as far as you could throw him. He's never married. You never talk about any women in this life. Yeah, he was married. Bessie Hager, remember? Oh, that's right. The cousin of Frank and Jesse James. Yeah. You know, we don't get much into her in the meat here, but she was very much an accomplice of his. Absolutely. She had to be. She had to be. There's no way she she couldn't know what was going on. She knew what was going on. And, you know, she might not have directly helped, but she turned a blind eye. Okay. Back to the story. So this fire he set nearly consumed Aberdeen. It quickly moved to buildings on both sides of the street, destroying the entire block and taking out the Brunswick Hotel. Both the Slade and Wilson Mills had to shut down operations and wound, wound up sending their combined 300 workers to fight the fire since it was making its way towards the mills. Unfortunately, the fire department and volunteers did not know how to fight this blaze and were losing control. No. If it wasn't for an unusually weak western wind, the whole town would have been set ablaze. So if this wind, normal wind, mm-hmm. this westernly wind, was at its normal pattern, right. it would have been pushing that fire directly to to those mills and pretty much... Oh, and they would have gone up. Exactly. Yeah. But this wind, since it was so so weak, it kind of killed out the, the fire pretty quickly. Thank God. I mean, it still took out an entire block or, you know, a good amount of Aberdeen. There was a lot of that happened. Even in our little hometown, there were places that burned down, they rebuild, burn again. Oh, yeah. Kind that of happened nature. all the time. Yeah, everywhere in the 1800s, 1900s. Yeah, yeah everything being made of wood doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. If you, you could afford stone or brick, you were rich. Right, exactly. You know, most people had a, a wooden frame house. And I think most, I think a lot of these fires that happened in Aberdeen made it essential for them to start building brick and stone houses or buildings. Probably, probably. Yeah, Golden unintentionally took out another enemy with this fire, George Griswold. Oh, no. He was, quote, a well-known character in the red light district. Okay. who was staying at the Brunswick Hotel and burned to death in his room. Billy was not arrested for the arson or the death of Griswold, which only deepened his belief that he was invincible. Yeah, this has been going on all the... Why? Man, I think, yeah, his, I think his, his wife was up to something. She was doing some favors. Shut up, Rick. Well, I think it's, a, you know, just corruption, honestly. It, it is. runs deep in the political offices. Corruption of all kinds. In the... Yeah. The police department, it was just, you paid enough money, you could get away with whatever you wanted. Right. That's it's pretty much the, the short and simple. That's kind of the way that it, you know, it still can be. Yeah, sad. I mean, it, absolutely. Yeah, times haven't changed that much in 120 years. Human beings. Always looking for that edge. That's right. Especially when it comes to money. Yep. Billy Gole was seen as a staunch advocate by the sailors themselves. He routinely went to battle for them against ship owners business owners and captains alike, using newspapers to criticize their actions and their ineptitude. Wow. He even complained to federal authorities about how Captain Henningsen wasn't an American citizen and therefore couldn't captain an American ship. Gohl even launched his own investigation into the wreck of the Charles E. Falk ship. Oh, yeah. 12 miles north of Grays Harbor, charging the captain and first mate with reckless navigation. Yeah, trying to deflect the issue from him. Yeah, exactly. He was... He was great at that, you know. He's great at making a news story when things were starting to come out about him. Master, manipulator, and liar. 
Absolutely. I mean, you, nothing that ever came out of his mouth was the truth. Unless he said he was going to kill you and then he did it. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't <laughs> even have to say that. People just knew. No, because he would sneak up behind you and do it. He was a chicken shit. Yep. He would never give anybody a fight chance. Yeah, and he used other people to, to kill you as well. Mm-hmm. Then in 1909, the Aberdeen Ship Chandlery Company, a warehouse or store of a Chandler. Okay. I had to look that up because I didn't know what a Chandlery was. <laughs> I don't know either. I still, like, even with the description, I still don't know. It's basically just a warehouse or store. Okay. Gotta look that up now. This Aberdeen Ship Chandlery Company became a target of goals. He claimed that they were interfering with commissions he was receiving for supplying ships in Grays Harbor. He would burn down the entire Zalesco block because of this. Zalesco block was the block that the chandlery was on. A logger named Jesse Holcomb died in this fire. Just another incidental death by Billy's hands. The Aberdeen Herald also drew the ire of Goal, since they frequently wrote about his corrupt dealings and everything else he had done in the town. He didn't like the way that the Herald was covering him and that the police were investigating him, so he decided to move the SUP headquarters from Aberdeen to Hoquim, which was only about five miles west of Aberdeen from the harbor. At this point, Goal had ruined too much business and double-crossed too many accomplices. He was heading towards his own downfall. Usually, thank heavens, this terror is going to end. Well, yeah, you, you know, we talked about it. This guy... He burns so many bridges, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he's a menace and doesn't care about anybody else but himself. Mm-hmm. And it's time somebody stood up to him. Exactly. Right? You would Isn't hope. That it, that's what it usually takes. Or yeah. do something I really mean, stupid. He did a lot of stupid things. But I mean, like, stupid isn't like stupid getting caught stupid. Yep. Exactly. It wasn't just enemies that wanted to see Billy go down. Even men in his own gang were getting tired of his ways. A.W. Jacobson being one of them. He was Mm -hmm. in that list of the gang members I mentioned at the top. Mm -hmm. Jacobson had a rat terrier dog that Billy disliked. A beloved rat terrier dog. Uh Uh-oh. In the things that I read, you know, it said, Very useful. (laughs) <laughs> rat terrier dog so i don't know what that actually meant it didn't go he into was just detail. a good dog that you know just a good dog that jacobson used quite a bit <laughs> i don't know quite what he did with them but you know those, those those are great hunting animals especially for rodents i have one a yeah. rat terrier our dog and um she's a rat terrier and mix but she is incredible at catching squirrels and chipmunks and i'm guarantee it's the same with they were trained to kill rats yeah so you think about this the shipping industry so, yeah exactly that's where she was useful oh, i As bet a rat killer and i bet he made a lot of money off that little doggy killing oh, rats. I'm, I'm sure yeah but uh yeah so billy hated this dog for whatever reason when the dog disappeared jacobson at first was not suspicious of billy however after several days of searching for the dog with no luck the rat terrier's body was found floating in the Wishka River. Of course. Under the SUP hall. So directly under the SUP hall. So clearly Billy was not concerned with getting caught. People knowing yeah, knowing he what he a did. Dog. <laughs> yeah, he even kills a oh, dog. Dude, so he killed 150 people, but the killing the dog is the thing that's gonna get him in trouble. It's a start. Alright, alright. That's the seed. And it's one of those things where You know, this was the last straw for Jacobson. Billy had double-crossed him multiple times prior to this, 
Okay. And that kind of is the straw that broke the camel's back type of thing. Right. Oh, I'd be, yeah, livid. Jacobson would go to the authorities and told them about the arson of the Alaska saloon. He signed an affidavit swearing that Gohl admitted to burning down the saloon. Mm. Gohl still had reach in the Aberdeen Police Department, though, and had an inside man feeding him information about the mayor and the police. So very little was done about these accusations. Okay. And remember, they've moved to, he's now in Hoquim, not Aberdeen, but he still has reach inside political offices in the police department. Right. He knows people. Exactly. As we established earlier, Gohl was not shy about bragging on the awful things he did. When drinking in the Grand Saloon, he would brag about his exploits in front of new owner, Patty McHugh. McHugh would hold on to all of this information, since he saw how Jacobson's claims went nowhere. Shortly after McHugh bought the Grand Saloon, Ed Ben would become mayor of Aberdeen. Okay. Nicknamed Gregarious Ed Ben, he was the grandson of town founder Sam Ben. He saw the corruption and lawlessness of Aberdeen and ran his campaign, partly on the platform of getting rid of the seedy underbelly of the town. Oh, yeah. Go, Ben! (laughs) Ben would appoint George Dean as the chief of police. Dean, a young 27-year-old man who had been in the Coast Guard and managed a team of workers at Slade Mill, so he was well aware of Billy Gold's exploits. Okay, good. That Slade Mill is, like we established, in Aberdeen. Uh-huh. So he was a manager there at Slade Mill, so he knew he knew all too well of Billy Gold. Yeah, and his awfulness. Yep, exactly. Mayor Ben and Patty McHugh would serendipitously run into each other while at Green River Hot Springs. McHugh told Ben that he knew enough about gold to, quote, send him to the gallows. Good. This prompted Dean to quietly start an investigation using McHugh as a source. Gold would find out a short time later that Ben was working to bring him down. And remember, he had informants all throughout the police department, Uh mayor's office, political offices. So he was hearing all about this. Yeah, he knew right away. Even though Ben was trying to do a quiet investigation, he still heard through the grapevine. Mm Mm-hmm. So when he found out this information, he ordered Charles Hadberg to kill the mayor. What? Hadberg never got the chance. Okay. Well, that'll put you... If you threaten a city official with murder, that'll get you put in jail. (laughs) Well, maybe. But yeah, like I said, Hadberg never got the chance. Okay. It wasn't like he was open about this. He was. It was just a conversation between Hadberg and Goal. Right. Okay. You see how he feels like he's untouchable, that he could just kill the mayor of a town. Yeah. Get away with it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. he thinks he can do anything he wants to do. He'll try to yep. kill the sheriff, too. He don't care. No, he doesn't give a shit. He's uh, brazen. Was the, By uh... this point, what's he <laughs> have to lose anyway? After you've killed right. more than one, what do you got to lose? <laughs> right. I mean, he's, you know, at this point, he just feels untouchable. He, he's on top of the world. He's full of it. And just double-crossing everybody. He doesn't yeah, give a shit yeah. about anybody else. It's yeah. just, yeah. He thinks he's king of the world. That's right. King shit of shit mm-hmm. mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Billy would again brag to McHugh about another export where he, Hadberg, and John Hoffman took a trip out to Lone Tree Point in the western part of Grays Harbor. And this is going to (laughs) be... So if you don't want to hear about some nastiness... Gruesome. 
You could skip Glory. about 30 seconds to a minute ahead. Details? Yes. No, I didn't go into detail, but, you know, Just it's be a prepared. gold star moment. This, this is your last warning. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go with the so details. So skip ahead 30 seconds to a minute. Yep. So he took a trip out to Lone Tree Point, the western part of Grays Harbor. It was here that Goal would claim they raped the daughter of a family out there and for good measure also killed the family's cattle. This prompted, and rightfully so, McHugh to go straight to Chief Dean with this information. The chief would go out to question the family, but just like most people in the area, were too afraid to finger Goal and his men for the crime. Son of a... Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're starting to see a theme where Uh we're just building and just showing how just absolutely insane psychopathic this guy is crazy so goal heard about this visit by the chief of police to the family and went straight to the grand saloon and accused patty of snitching McHugh was somehow able to convince billy that it must have been hadberg or hoffman that snitched okay that's gonna cause a ruckus big time (laughs) i want to hear about it a few days before Christmas, Goal, Klingenberg, and Hoffman would make a trip out to Indian Creek. One wouldn't make it back. Uh-oh. As Billy got to his launch, and a launch is a powered boat, yes. steam, electric, or gas. Just think of a police boat. Kind of, yeah. 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 I mean, that's yeah. kind of what a launch is. Right. Flat bottom, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And realized he was short on gasoline. Oh. It just so happened that George Martell, a game warden, was around the docks that night and gave Billy some fuel. Martell would place Goal at the harbor that night. Oh, good. As the three, that's uh, Goal, Klingenberg, and Hoffman, made their way to Indian Creek to a small cabin that uh, Charles Hadberg owned, and Hadberg would meet them out there. Okay. So four of them total. Right. Goal, Klingenberg, Hoffman. And Hadberg was going to meet him at the cabin. And Billy's going to get rid of them all. Try to. We don't know. We don't know. That's, you know, that's what he's going to try to do. What's going to happen? Goal stopped the launch and shot Hoffman with his Colt. One down. Hoffman begged for his life, which was heard from the shore near Michigan Mill by Oswald Bell. Goal would fire his revolver four more times. These shots were heard by several different men. And J.H. Hiltz, one of the men would call the police. All these men would testify at Goal's trial. Good! Before they made it to the cabin, Goal ordered Klingenberg to kill Hadberg the following day. So once the now three men, Goal, Klingenberg, and Hadberg, because Hoffman is dead, mm-hmm. got up the next day, they tried to start Goal's launch, but it would not start. The men were forced to take a rowboat back to Gray's Harbor. On their way, Klingenberg drew his revolver and shot Hadberg twice in the face. Ah! Gold then forced Klingenberg to tie Hadberg to an anchor and throw him overboard. Oh my god. Yep. The people are going to jail! It would seem so, we We hope, hope. right? And this is all because he thinks that these guys are the ones that snitched on him. Mm Mm-hmm. Once the two men made it back to town, they both knew Klingenberg was a loose end. He would spend the next few days knowing that when Goal had the opportune time, John Klingenberg was a dead man. Get the hell out of town! He just had to hold out until he was shipped off on the A.J. West, bound to Mexico. Yeah. 
get the hell out of town. I didn't even I, see. I don't have any script here, so I just like, <laughs> you're right <laughs> along with the. Uh, I'm I'm right along in the story though. That's get out right. of town. Billy would go on to tell Patty McHugh about the dispatching of Hadberg and Hoffman. Patty would take that information straight to Mayor Ben. Gold was questioned about the disappearance of the two men, where he made up some story about Hadberg stealing money from him and running off to Alaska. Chief Dean still dredged the waters around Gray's Harbor looking for the bodies, to no avail. Yeah. Well, he had to do that. Yeah, you know, he's doing his job. That's good police work. Then, on February 3rd, 1910, this is about a month later, Remember, it was around Christmas mm-hmm. that they went out. Charles Hadberg's body was discovered by two men in a small rowboat headed home. Oh, good. Well, not not uh, good for Hadberg, but or those guys that found him. But <laughs> good that the body was found. Mm-hmm. Well, good that he was found. So the anchor that had been used to weigh Hadberg's body down was stolen from Caldwell Brothers Logging Company, and the pistol used to shoot him was found thirty-five feet away. Hmm. Chief Dean and Detective Church went to the Union Hall to arrest Billy Gole. Good. Drama, drama, drama. Drama. (laughs) (laughs) Dean and Church were able to take Gole into custody without incident. Billy probably believing he would get out of this just like all the other times he got away with these crimes. Defense attorney Wilson Butner would take Billy Gole's case. However, after hearing all the evidence and speaking with Gole, Butner withdrew as his lawyer after one whole day. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, this guy is evil. Well, just the amount of evidence, the testimonies, <laughs> he's just like, nope. Well, hey, yeah, that that's the way out. But I guarantee you when he met him, he was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, he probably saw those soulless eyes and just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> And just backs out slowly. Yeah, that guy just seems like he... <laughs> you walk into the room and, you, and it's just the whole room's cold. Yeah, exactly. I could see that. You know? But yeah, so Butner backed out of being his lawyer after one day. Former friends and enemies alike started to come forward with stories of Gold's exploits, maybe thinking they would now be believed. Mm. A lot of these people would go on to sign affidavits for crimes such as arson, robbery, burglary, cattle rustling, smuggling, poisoning, piracy, and of course, murder of multiple people and animals. And that one other thing that he did on the island, so if you had, you went away for 30 seconds, go away for 10 more. He had to have been charged with rape also, right? You would hope, but again, the lack of evidence. He's going to jail either way. Yeah. An excerpt from the Aberdeen Herald right around the time that he was arrested. Wonder is expressed that the man should have been permitted to go on in his career for over six years without being overhauled by the authorities, especially as he had the habit of bragging about his crimes to his companions when he was in his cups. In other words, when he was drunk. When he was drunk, exactly. When he was in his cups. In his cups. I love that. I love that saying. saying, though. Yeah, that's ba- that's before my time and my dad's time. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, bringing I it back. I might have heard that from my grandparents or something at one time. It's but in his yeah. cups. I love it. Drunk. I'm going to start using it. I'm going to be getting in my cups a little later. I'm going to do <laughs> a little bit because I have a designated driver. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you driving or nope, Chris, Chris driving? Is driving? There you go. So, just get right, I'm just hammered a- drunk. Oh, 
you're in the front row, hammered drunk, just <laughs> screaming the lyrics to Slaughter. I'm going to scream fly to angels and I'm going to show my tits. There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then my lighter up. Then my lighter up. <laughs> Showing the, the tits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But we already know that Goal liked to brag about his his exploits. And this was just, you know, in the Herald saying the same thing that, you know, they're surprised that he was able to go on for six years without being arrested, even though he admitted to these crimes when he was drinking. It's it, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, I'll take a dirty work reference anytime. And I just wanted to I wanted to share that little quote from the Aberdeen Herald because it, I thought it just perfectly summed up Billy Gold during his height of power in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. How did he get away with it? And yeah. How did he get away with it when he was admitting to his crimes to anybody that would listen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Exactly. Right. That's what we have to learn from these lessons. Whatever the lessons we were yeah. learning. If you don't learn from your mistakes, you're, you're bound to repeat them, right? What's that old cliche? Yep, and it's the definition of insanity. Yep, like, exactly. They keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and it's your life to change. <laughs> I fall into that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but most people expected the SUP to step in and help Billy out once again, like they had so many times in the past. Unfortunately for Goal, this was not the case. They did not put any money into his trial. The SUP even seemed to be wiping their hands of him. Mm. Good. <laughs> yes, very good. So A.M. Abel, a local lawyer, would step in as Goal's counsel. While the whole lawyer thing shook out, the police were still dredging the waters around the harbor looking for Hoffman's body. They were convinced that if they could not find Hoffman's body, the defense could argue that Hoffman killed Hadberg and then ran off. Mm. This dredging would come up with multiple skeletons that had been weighted down. What? Wow. Part of that 150. So they're just dredging the waters and just pulling up skeletons. Body after body, everywhere. After skeleton after skeleton after skeleton. Yep. So this is after the 150 bodies is more skeletons. No, this is this is part of oh, it's part the of 150 it. attributed to them, yeah. But the 125, I'm going to say 125 to 150. I mean, definitely is that guy, man. Well, and you know maybe they weren't directly by his hands, but he was the one that gave the order to kill these men, but right, he killed right. a lot of people on his own with his own hands. So I, I would say at least 50 to a hundred were probably by his own hands or his wife. I'm sure she, yeah, I don't, I, there wasn't much I could find about her, like participation in the actual crimes. Yeah. I don't know. Billy would really was, he was a psychopath, right? Sociopath. Well, whatever, <laughs> he had no soul, we'll mm-hmm. just say that. So on February 14th, and we're in, hang on, we're, what year? What year, 1910 or 11? 11? I think we're in 1910. Yeah, so February 3rd is when Hadberg's body was discovered, and that's when he was arrested, or mm-hmm. the 3rd or 4th he was arrested. So on February 14th, so less than two weeks after he was arrested, Goal was arraigned in the Superior Court in Montesano on the charge of first-degree murder of Charles Hadberg. Oh, good. I'm probably butchering these town names. So if anybody from the Pacific Northwest is from this area is listening, they're probably like, what an idiot. What is that town you said? 
Montesano. M-O-N-T-E-S-A-N-O. That's what I would right? say. Yeah. Montesano? Montesano. Yeah. So he was arraigned in the Superior Court in Montesano on the charge of first-degree murder of Charles Hadberg. He pleaded not guilty, and his trial was set for March 25th. Wow, that wasn't long. Now it took two years. No, they didn't fuck around back then, right? 11 days. He gets arrested on Valentine's Day. Arrested around the 3rd or the 4th? Then Valentine's Day, he gets a gift. (laughs) (laughs) And his trial is is set for just a month later. It was 11 days. His trial was set for March 25th. Oh, He was arraigned. Okay, month and a half. Okay. Yep. Month and a half from the day that he was arrested, right. which is That's super quick. fast. That's quick. This story and the trial to follow brought widespread attention to the area. From sailors and union members threatening the Aberdeen Herald for printing stories about Billy to newspapers across the country comparing this case to that of Bell Gunnis, called Hell's Bell, the Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard, who may have killed and buried up to 40 people on her Indiana farm. Mm. Belle Gunness, if you don't know about her, that's also an insane story, and I definitely suggest going and reading Belle. about her if you have time. Okay. Belle Gunness, yeah. Mayor Ben and Chief Dean would enlist the help of the famed Thiel Detective Service Company, who would send eight men to Aberdeen to help on the case. All right. Yeah, yeah I mean, they go back, you know. They're another fascinating group, too, and full of corruption, of course. But anyways... <laughs> topic. Go look look up about the Thiel Detective Service Company. So basically like the early FBI. Okay. All right. They wound up gathering evidence against Goal on the murders of more than 40 men. Mm. Accomplices were put under surveillance. Former associates confessed in the investigation uncovered that Goal owned shacks all along Grays Harbor that he used to rob and murder sailors for their money. Wow. To make matters worse, they found a second trap door behind the cigar counter in Gold's old shop. <laughs> oh my God. So he was, he was set up everywhere he went. Everywhere. Take care of business. That's scary. He basically is, a, you know, for sake of a serial killer that people know, a Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer. He's a high-functioning person in society that was able to function as in a political office, as a union rep. Yeah. Who had a thirst for blood. Gives you the chills. It does. Mm. So what humans are capable of. <sighs> yeah, it's insane. Reading about this story, doing research. Whew, my mind was blown. Yeah. It's some of this stuff. You know, I didn't even put into detail some of the gory, gory shit. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just sick. It really is. While awaiting his trial, Billy shared a cell with Alexander DeGoff. Dagoff? D-E-G-O-E-F-F? Say Dagoff, right? Yeah, I guess you, that's close. Yeah, I'm good <laughs> close with enough. Again, butchering names. Guy's dead, who cares? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> His family's probably still around, maybe. Oh, I'm sorry, Dagoff. But he was sharing a cell with Alexander Dagoff, with whom he had a long-standing feud with. Big surprise there, huh? A feud with somebody else. Mm, yeah, who didn't he have a feud with? <laughs> right. Dagoff nearly beat Gold to death with a chair and probably would have if a deputy hadn't stepped in and saved his life. (laughs) Standing ovation for Dagoff, even though he was also in prison and was known by (laughs) known by goal. So he was probably also a a piece of shit. The lesser of two evils. Yeah. 
I can't say because I didn't look up who he was really. Still, karma gets so, you. I'm not gonna pass judgment. Nope. But he beat Billy within an inch of his life. Even with that brush with death, things were about to get worse for Billy Goal. John Klingenberg was on his way back to Aberdeen. Uh-oh. So a telegram was sent to the AJ West, the ship Klingenberg was on, telling the captain to return to Aberdeen with Klingenberg. The telegram also told John that he was wanted for the murder of Hadberg in Hoffman and that Billy was, quote, cooling his heels in jail. The sense of relief was immediate for him, and he was quoted as saying, Thank God that's it. I thought you were bringing me back to Billy. So he's in jail? I'm not a murderer, but I know who is. I'll tell mm. everything. Everything I know. And there you go. <laughs> there you go. Klingenberg to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Sort of. <laughs> when the ship docked in Aberdeen on April 4th, hey, we're coming up on... Uh, the anniversary. Would that be the 112th anniversary? Because this is 1910. <laughs> 112 years ago on this date. (laughs) (laughs) So the ship docked, the AJ West docked in Aberdeen on April 4th. Klingberg was taken into custody. 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 (laughs) He was taken to the Grayport Hotel and made a full notarized confession there. Nice. He then took authorities out to the spot where the murders had taken place. They searched those waters with grappling or... Yeah, grappling irons, and pulled up a piece of cloth thought to be a piece of Hoffman's coat. When they touched something they suspected to be a body with the irons, they brought in divers from Hoquim. Oh boy. They did find a body, but it wasn't Hoffman. (laughs) It was identified as Carl O. Carlson. Okay. (laughs) That name. (laughs) His parents must have hated him. Carl O. Carlson. Carl Carlson. Just call me Richard Rich. (laughs) <laughs> who just seemed to be another suspected victim of goals. Gosh, well, it keeps rising. Yep, that count keeps rising. Billy was dealt another blow after finding out about Klingenberg's confession. The Abel brothers were recusing themselves from this case. And I should, I forgot to mention, so A.M. Abel took the case. His brother also came on mm-hmm. as counsel for him. Okay. But they're stepping away from the case They claimed it was because they hadn't received the $10,000 he owed them, but many think it was because of the futility of the case. Absolutely. You're going to lose. Yep. The court appointed Arthur Cross and J.A. Hutchinson to the case. Bessie, uh, Gold's wife, wife, worked tirelessly to help her husband. She sold four plots of land to help pay for the defense and traveled to Seattle. Hey, Seattle, shout out. (laughs) (laughs) to try and enlist the help of former judge will h morris who declined her offer good so finding a jury was not easy since so many people knew of the case and or personally affected by the horrors committed by this madman the trial started at 10 a.m on monday may 2nd 1910 and judge ben sheiks would preside mr ben and they pushed out the case the defense uh the able brothers Pushed out the case. Okay. Since they said they didn't have time enough time to prepare, and so right. it got pushed out to May 2nd, not March 25th. I was getting all excited there. <laughs> As Goal and Klingenberg were brought into the courtroom, Goal looked to be upbeat and in good spirits, where Klingenberg was a wreck and looked physically weak. He's terrified. Exactly. In a huge weight 
you know, his conscience was catching yeah. up to him. Mm-hmm. It took almost three full days before a jury of 12 men could be finalized out of an initial pool of 300. Wow. Judge Meeks was careful to not give the defense any loopholes in which they could win an appeal, so he would frequently sustain their objections over a juror. So part of the reason why it took so long to get get the jury. And also, at this point, only men could be on the jury. To, well, mm-hmm. I think this point in 1910, only men could vote as well. <laughs> so, right. The suffrage movement was just The 20s, off. right? <clears throat> it was taking off. It started in the 1800s, 1880s, but... It started yeah. to take off. And then, yeah, 19- yeah, it took decades, mm-hmm. which is insane. So they have their jury of 12 men. Okay. The state brought in 80 witnesses to testify against Goal. <laughs> Good. That's a long trial. 80, 80 people. 80 people are like, yeah, I'll testify against that son of a bitch. Exactly. Bessie Goal would employ the same tactics against these witnesses as her husband used to do. With sailors and other men. Try to intimidate them and scare them and kill them. Exactly. One of those 80 witnesses went to the sheriff of Montesano to report that Bessie had met them on the street that night before and attempted to intimidate them. Mm. Didn't go into detail of like what she said or anything, but I'm assuming it was a vague threat of death. Sure was. <laughs> the trial did not start out well for goal at all. Testimonies from Klingenberg, Patty McHugh, and a multitude of others were damning for Billy, and the mountain of evidence were burying him. The state was wrapping up their case, and it was soon the defense's turn. In a shocking move, Hutchinson and Cross ended their defense after only an hour and 20 minutes. Oof. They initially intended to call 30 witnesses, but wound up only calling three. Mm. The testimony for the prosecution was so damning they were afraid of exposing more crimes when their witnesses were cross-examined. I mean, talk about a slam dunk for a oh yeah, it's over a prosecution. It's over. You know the the fact that the defense team was so worried about other crimes being exposed <laughs> during crossing oh, blows yeah. my mind. Things were yeah insane. They were shady. It took the j- jury nearly ten hours to come to a decision. It was mainly because, we'll get into it a little bit, but I think there were three jurors that were afraid that the death penalty was going to come into play. Okay. And they didn't want to sentence a man to death. Yeah. Yeah. That has a lot to do with it. So that's why it took them 10 hours. I think it would, you know, if the death penalty wasn't on the table, it probably would have been like five minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an exaggeration, of course, but it probably would have been more like an hour or two. Probably. So at 12.45 p.m. on May 12th, 1910, the jury came back with a verdict of guilty for the first-degree murder of Charles Hadberg. Judge Sheeks handled the trial so well, the defense had nothing to use for an appeal. The cost of this trial was about $20,000 in 1910, mm-hmm. which is about half a million today. So a lot of money. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like too much to uh, get some justice for a... Uh... 150 to 200 people, right? Right. But you think, you know, back then, you know, it was the cost, you know, ranging from the Thield Detective Company and the tr- dredging of the waters. Oh, my know, God. All yeah. of this stuff, you know. Yeah. You it, know, for a small town, that's a lot of money, you know, half is. a million dollars to. Yeah. But Judge Sheeks took the recommendations of the jury into consideration when it came time for sentencing. Ultimately, he decided against the death penalty thanks largely to the jury's suggestions and passed his sentence. Life in prison. 
And Billy and Bessie Goal had waited two full days for this sentencing and were extremely relieved when they heard the verdict come down. Not the verdict, but the sentencing come down. The sentence, right. Sheiks knew he was going to have to explain his leniency. He wrote, quote, Three matters in connection with the case may be thought of weight in inducing the court to inflict the lesser degree of punishment. That was his quote. Okay. So it basically came down to, one, the sheer number of jurors that they had to dismiss because they didn't believe in the death penalty. Two, the recommendation by the convicting jury. And three, Sheiks could only take Klingenberg's testimony with a grain of salt since it was in his best interest to put the majority of the blame on goal. As it should be. And that was me kind of paraphrasing. You know, I gave the quote there from from Judge Sheiks, but that was me paraphrasing the reasons why he... Right. When he was explaining why he was so lenient and didn't give the death penalty. And I say so lenient. I'm I'm obviously against the so death penalty. So how long did he stay in jail? Did he actually serve the death penalty? Well, he didn't serve... You mean serve in jail? Or serve in jail until the end of his life. Well, let's see. Okay. So as I've talked about in length, Billy Gull was sentenced to life in prison to be served at the state penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. He would begin his incarceration there on June 14th, 1910, and Bessie would move to Walla Walla, so she was close to him. As for John Klingenberg, he was found guilty of second-degree murder of Hadberg later that year. The judge in that case citing Klingenberg's consistency in his story as the reason behind not charging him with first-degree murder. He was sentenced to 25 years at the very same state pen as Billy Gull in Walla Walla and started his stay there on November 9th, 1910, so about six months later. In March 1912, Bessie Gull was granted a divorce on the grounds that her husband was a convict. The last person to stand by Billy finally left him. A few months later, the Grand Saloon in Aberdeen would burn down, taking his old SUP office with it. One fire he did not set. Billy Gold would remain in prison until his death on May 3rd, 1927. Okay. Where it was said his behavior was becoming more and more erratic. He was insane anyway, so I'm sure he went even more <laughs> right. insane. Well, he contracted syphilis at some point oh. and died from complications of syphilis alone in a hospital bed in the Eastern State Hospital at Medical Lake in Spokane County. So that will do it for the saga that was Billy Goal in the short reign he had over a small region in western Washington. There you go. That is the story of Billy Goal. What did you think? I thought the man... I wish the man would have been caught a lot sooner. It was a creepy story. The creepy story. Six years. Oh, yeah. Six years. To think that an entire town... You know, in that small Aberdeen, what did it have? Maybe 20,000 people at that time? It probably didn't have a uh, lot. In the first episode, it was 10,000. 10,000. So it was the size yeah. of, you know, the town I live in now. And if yep. you just knew that in 25, 50 people a year were disappearing. Right? Get, yeah, that'd creep you the heck out. <laughs> For real. And yeah, yeah you, you know, you don't need ghost stories or... Mm-mm. That's reality. You know, or cryptids or monsters, you know, we... We have monsters like I, this. I think history. the reason that we have those kind of um, stories and horror flicks and ghost stories and all that is because it's a way for us to deal with the dark side of humanity. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think. it's a way for us to Absolutely. face it and overcome it to some degree if you can. 
you know? Yeah, in, you know, a way, exactly, a way to just face it head on and, mm-hmm. you know. Face your fears. Yep. Exactly. There's some of that stuff that is, you know, that's done, you know, just for the gore of it. Nah, it doesn't do that for me. But things that are actually, you know, things that are so real, things that are so real um, and visceral are too much for me, especially at this age. So Yeah, I get it. Uh, it happens to everybody. But yeah, why isn't there why isn't there a movie about this guy? I bet you know no documentaries, no documentaries or anything. In there. Uh, there's there's definitely documentaries, but you know this is a really interesting story, and you know I part of the reason I chose it was because you know I had never heard of the guy before. Right, I never heard even of it. though so, yeah, you know you obviously hear the serial killers out there, you know, and he was a different, you know, he wasn't. You know, he was going to kill regardless if he was in, you know, a position of power or not. Mm-hmm. But the fact that somebody was allowed to be in such a position of power and still murdered people at will is just, you know, that's kind of what drew me to this story. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And speaking of story, I should probably cite my sources here. Yeah, uh, that's true. The main source I used for this was Ghoul of Grays Harbor, Murder and Mayhem in the Pacific Northwest by C.J. March. Is that a book? Just a short little, short little book. Okay. You know, it's only about 70 pages long. Okay. But also... Do your internet research, as we all do, Google. Yeah, Wikipedia. exactly. We, you know, the old Google machine Go to the, uh, was Aberdeen. a big part of it, too. Go to the Aberdeen Library Online. Yeah, that was, I did, I didn't really use much from that, but yeah, that was definitely something I looked at. Yeah, you got to go check those places, because some places have some rather robust historical information. Oh, for especially sure. If you, especially if you can find like a county, or one that's like a county-wide one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes it has some really good stuff that's digitized now that you can look up. Oh, absolutely. So, and, you know, another main source, you know, the two main sources I used was SerialKillerCalendar.com, okay, and you know Billy Goal, the Ghoul of Grays Harbor, an article by Maggie Smoke, S M O A K. So those are the two main sources. I mean, obviously, you know, did a ton of look it up, googling. (laughs) Well, hey, we had an audience of one behind us for the first half of our show, and as soon as we started talking, he heard the name Billy Goal. He wanted me to help him look or give him the name so he could look it up. So he was looking it up online to see if it, what we were talking about. So cool. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) That's what we want, man. Check it out. That's right. Exactly. Get people interested, go out, do their own little research. Put a picture of this guy up on your screen while you're listening. If you want to get creeped out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Guys. Or a picture of, you know, me and my, with no hat on. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Yeah, thanks for listening to this episode of Shame on the Night. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Shame on the Night Pod and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right. Yeah, subscribe, like, comment. Subscribe, comment. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's free. give us those five star reviews. Right? We're not charging It's free. It's free everywhere. No, free we're not charging anything. Come on. That's right. That way when, you know, new episode pops up, it automatically downloads it'll, for you. It'll let yeah. you know. Yeah, and then you can listen or not. We hope you listen. Absolutely. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.